Welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast. To learn more about our church, give, share a prayer request, or access our weekly worship guide, visit us at www.restorationlex.com slash this week. James is concerned with the type of people that we are becoming. James is calling us out of out of the me world and calling us into the we. He's calling us out of our, our spiritual isolation that has become the norm in our society. He's calling us to what his half-brother taught in John 13, which is by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I, I, I may be crazy, but I still think that love is the primary apologetic of the church. It's the primary way we are known, are called to be known in the world, is how we love. And notice James doesn't just point to love in general or in a generic sense. James and and Jesus is pointing us to the fact that love for one another in our community is an apologetic in the world. The way that we have learned and continue to learn to love one another shows the world what Jesus is actually like. Church historian, uh, Alan Kreider, he's one of the best early church historians. He writes that it was not primarily what the Christians said that carried weight with outsiders. It was what they did and embodied that was both disconcerting and converting. It was their habitus, their reflexes, and ways of life that suggested that there was another way to perceive reality that made the Christians interesting, challenging, and worth investigating. That the Christian's focus was not on saving people or recruiting them, it was on living faithfully in the belief that when people's lives are rehabituated in the way of Jesus, others will want to join them. It's clear in the early church that the way that people came into the community of God, the primary manner in which people were evangelized was by seeing how incredible the love was they had in their community. That kind of life, that kind of love we see in James is rooted in their suffering together. James 1 talks about suffering. James 5 talks about suffering. It's what draws these people together, this common struggle, suffering story that brings them together. And that's where it begins, as we heard earlier. It says, is anyone among you in trouble? Well, let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Notice here, it's not saying, are you sick? It's not saying, are, are you happy? It's not saying, are you in trouble? No, he said, is anyone among you? James assumes there is a connection and community to the needs and struggles and pains of those around you. He assumes that you are dialed into the spiritual realities of those you walk with on a daily basis. He forces us, I think this morning, to ask three important questions I want to hold on to, and that is who knows your battles? Who celebrates your victories? And who knows your need? And likewise, whose battle do you know? Whose victories are are, are you celebrating? What needs in the lives of others have you entered into? These are the spaces where love, the kind of love that Jesus calls us to take root. When we come out of our isolation and we enter into the vulnerability of 
community together. And if that seems hard and becoming harder and harder in this world, you're right. Because we are formed, our world is formed in spiritual isolation. We're trying to build a we church in the middle of a very me culture, right? It's difficult. It's difficult in a world that it feels like you're swimming up a waterfall, trying to build a community of we in a world of me. And it's even worse here, particularly in our nation. In a study of 53 nations by Dutch social, social uh, psychologist Garrett Hofstede, the United States, along with the, you know, the United Kingdom and also Australia, were measured to be more than twice as individualistic as other nations in the world. So we're coming out of the box already pre-programmed to be focused on ourselves. We're carrying that mindset, that individualism, into our spiritual lives. James, though, he is insisting on calling us out of that, calling us out of our individual focus on turning inward on ourselves and into the stories and into the struggles of others. And that, I believe, is how you measure a healthy church. You measure a healthy church not by how wonderful the services are and how great the sermons are, thank God, you measure the health of a church by how willing we are to enter into the stories and struggles of others and walk together in love. Jesus says that is more than our sermons and services and outreaches. That is our primary apologetic in the world. So let me ask those three questions again. Who knows your battles? Who celebrates your victories? Who knows your needs? But the call, my friends, is not simply to, to enter into these stories and struggles. It's, it's to join God in the way that he's already at work in these struggles. How does James tell us to respond if we are sick or if we are in trouble or if we have something worth celebrating? He says to pray or to sing songs of praise, not to get God to enter spaces where he is absent, but because God is already present and already at work in these spaces, even in our struggles and sufferings, we can always know that our we is always, always, always including the God who walks among us and with us. When we say we, we're not talking about that separate from God. God dwells in his people. So we respond, as James calls us to, in prayer and praise because God is already present and is already at work in our lives. And I pray and I worship to join his work in the lives of others around me. And I think this is what gets to the heart of, of what it means really to be the church. A while back I heard someone say, you know what? I'm not really sure why we gather anymore. And it made me start thinking, you know, what, 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 what would I answer that question? A lot of people, I know you probably have friends or know people or maybe even share that sentiment yourself even though you're here today of why in the world 
do we still gather for something like this? A lot of people, as we're going to talk about next week in a series called Why Church, a short series around what it means to be church and why that matters in this world, that, that I've started to wonder, you know, why people are rejecting. And if, if they are rejecting the church, if they are rejecting their understanding of church, are they rejecting a misconception of what it is in the first place? Is it simply a caricature of what Jesus intended it to be? And that is what they're rejecting. Because if they're rejecting something that's false, maybe it's good that they're rejecting it. And it offers an opportunity then for us to be able to step into what is actually real. I think there's four understandings of the church that most of us operate in. But only one of them, I believe, is where we find this community we're talking about today. First one we'll call God with me. You can see this here on the screen. You go to church to invest in your relationship with God, to experience God's presence for you. But here's the problem, and we found this out during the pandemic. I can do that at home. I can listen to sermons and podcasts. I can do that at home. If it's just about my relationship with God in the church, I began to see very quickly during the pandemic, I, I, I don't necessarily need to gather together as a family. I can grab a worship CD, I can get a podcast. If that's church, I don't need that. Ultimately though, that's too individualistic. The second one we'll call me with them. I go to church for community and I go to church for relationships and rightfully so because we say all the time, church is family, church is people, that's who we are. That's a good thing to celebrate. But if it's just relationships, with little or no spiritual formation, if God is sort of the odd man out in these relationships, then I can do that at the bar down the street or at the kitchen table, right? I can do that anywhere. So why gather when I can accomplish the very same thing somewhere else? It becomes very ritualistic. It becomes something I do not because I get to experience or be formed by God. It's something I do because it's just something that we do. The third one we'll call God with them. I go to church to hear an amazing band and a charismatic preacher give an incredible message. I know I'm not talking about me there. I go to a church to experience and fill myself with all the things that God's doing through these incredibly talented and gifted people. I see awesome videos about how God's at work all around our church. But the key word there is I see what God is doing in them and not really in me. I'm watching God at work, but I'm seeing him at work as if he's on a stage and I'm in the audience. I see him at work in the life of others, but I'm not really experiencing him myself. I come for the high of what happens when I watch God work in powerful ways through charismatic and talented people, but I don't receive that. And worse, I don't even know those people. I don't know their lives. I don't know their struggles. Again, we find out during the pandemic, I can watch that on my TV screen. And if that's church, then I don't need that either. It's consumerism. It's just taking in and not receiving from God. 
Each one of these three elements, though, each one of these three options we see here on the screen have one element of truth in them. We want to experience God for ourselves, right? It has to be something we experience for ourselves. That's good. We want to have meaningful relationships. We want to see God at work powerfully in others. And there's nothing wrong with a good band. There's nothing wrong with a, a good preacher. But, 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 on their own, they leave us wanting more. And I think deep down we know it. And honestly, I think deep down when people say, I don't know about church anymore, I think deep down what many of them are rejecting are one of these three. They're rejecting the individualistic church, they're rejecting a ritualistic church, and they're rejecting a church where they've consumed and consumed and consumed, and they see that they're not growing by what they're consuming. And so we need another way. We need a way that I believe the New Testament preaches, what James is calling us to. We'll call it God with us. We understand church as a space where the intersection of communion is with God and with one another. We worship alongside people whose stories we know, whose struggles we have entered into. We meet and we welcome others who we've never met before into this kind of community. This is a church that does not sacrifice relationships for spirituality, but it does also not sacrifice spirituality for the sake of relationship. We've learned that we were made for one another. We've learned that the primary understanding of the scriptures in the church is a family. It is a body connected, interconnected, interdependent in one another. This is an intentional connection and communion weekly, whether it be in this room or in homes or however we gather with one another with our brothers and sisters. It's God is not just with me and I'm not just with them. No, we are together in the presence of God, Emmanuel, God with us, together. That's the family of God. Now let's bring that back to James 5, our scripture today. He says, is anyone among you in trouble? Well, let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Well, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with, with oil. In the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If you've sinned, they will be forgiven. Now, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You see, once we come to grips with the reality that God is with us. The question becomes for us then, who is this God who is with us? From what we see here in James, the picture of God we are given, that the God who is among us is a healer, spiritually, physically healing. The God who is with us is a restorer. He is one who takes what is broken and he makes it whole. I mean, look at Jesus' ministry. Healing was an incredibly important part of his ministry. Why? Have you ever asked yourself why? Yes, and in one very simple sense, it's to prove his divinity to the world, that this, he has the power of God, he has the anointing of God, but there, there must be something more at work in that healing was so central to his ministry. I love what Tim Keller writes about this. He says, 
We modern people think of miracles as the suspension of the natural order, but Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. The Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world to have disease and hunger and death in it. Jesus has come to redeem where it is wrong and heal the world where it is broken. His miracles are not just proofs that he has power, but also wonderful foretaste of what he has going to do with that power. Jesus' miracles are not just a challenge to our minds, but a promise to our hearts that the world we all want is coming. Oh, I love that. And the healing did not stop, contrary to some beliefs among Christians, the healing did not stop after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. Healing continued. We see as we read on in Acts that healing happens everywhere. The healing happens by the power of the same Holy Spirit that healed throughout the scriptures. And then in John 14, Jesus actually promises his disciples, says, very truly I tell you, this verse, I gotta stop real. This verse makes me uncomfortable. I'll be real honest. It makes me uncomfortable. It challenges me. It says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater than these. Because I'm going to my Father. Now, a couple things there. Because I'm going to my Father, he's saying you're going to do greater things. When he goes to the Father is when the Spirit, the Holy Spirit falls at Pentecost. The Bible says the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in us. And Jesus promises, you will do even greater things than these. Let's pause. I want to ask you, do you believe Jesus? Do you believe what Jesus is, is, is telling us? I know sometimes that's hard to believe. And, it, and it's not, I, I've found, because we necessarily doubt the, the miraculous power of God, I think it's more so because we doubt that the miraculous power of God could work through somebody like us. That God could use my messy life. That God could work through in supernatural ways in the midst of my hang-ups and doubts and struggles, that my fears and failures don't stop him from wanting to use his power in and through people like me. I mean, in my mind, I'm far from the kind of person that I think God would want to use because I feel so deeply human. Have you felt that? And if that's running through your head, I get that. And I think it also is running through the head of James's audience because the very next thing he writes is this. He says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. I mean, James is directly addressing this invisible spiritual hierarchy that we have sometimes, that there are the holy men and women up here who get to do the cool stuff, and we normal folks down here get to just sit and watch. James is saying one of the people in the Bible who operated in supernatural power in ways that are just sometimes hard to imagine was in every single possible way human like us. And in that humanity... 
Notice the story of Elijah, what happens. There's one point where after what happens on Mount Carmel, which is one of the most incredible miracles in the Scripture, fire falls on this altar around all these like pagan prophets. It's an incredible scene. Directly after that, he runs and hides. You could argue what happens as he runs to the mountains to hide and gets in a cave to hear this whisper from God. You could argue that it's fear. You could argue that it's exhaustion. You could even argue that it's depression because Elijah is human just like you are. But even in that humanity, in what Elijah did have was this faith and this expectation and the power and the presence of God. Listen again to James's words. He says, And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. It's not about your ability. It's not even about how much faith that you have. It is who your faith is in. It's not the strength of your faith. It is the object of your faith that saves one of the pastors that I've learned a lot about uh, praying for healing from is a man by the name of John Wimber. And John Wimber, I mean, was powerful, powerful pastor, preacher, and, and prayed for healing, saw many people healed. And, and at one time in a room of people, they, they came to him and they said, what's your secret? What do you do before you pray for someone to be healed? And he thought for a minute and he said, I just drink a Diet Coke. Because he was all about demystifying the spiritual hierarchy of what it means to operate in the supernatural. He liked to call it naturally supernatural. That we should, in the natural world, expect God to move in supernatural ways. Sometimes healing touches places beyond even physical healing, relational healing, spiritual healing. I can remember a time right when we got married where uh, we went to this conference, uh, this church conference back in the day. And we were probably six months married at this point. And, um, and we were fighting. Um, and we, yeah, <laughs> we were fighting. She's leaving the room as I talk about this. That's funny. <laughs> we were fighting. And, and the fight was over. Like, she had this, like, sense of, like, I was in ministry and she was just the lady on the side that didn't really get to participate or do anything. And I was young and really dumb. And now I'm older and still pretty dumb, but I, I did not see this clearly whatsoever. I was trying to, my best to, to encourage, but my words were making it worse. And so we walk into this conference, and you know, if, you're, if you've done this before, like where you're smiling extra hard to make it look like you're not fighting when you're walking into a place. Anybody have done that before? Yeah, we're in one of those situations. And we go in and we sit down for worship, and, you know, we still have that, like, vague aura of anger we're trying to, to cover over and worship is happening it's a powerful night and at the end of the service this woman that we do not know just walks up to us where we're seated and says hey can I pray for you and uh, I was like yeah I guess that's that's fine and she laid hands on us and began to pray for us and there's about 30 seconds of silence during the worship and the first words that come out of her mouth are God, I thank you for the ministry that these two are going to have together. And I just lost it. I mean, it was the exact 
cry of our hearts, the very place we needed healing the most in that moment. And God saw fit by prayer, by his supernatural power to speak in and through a person, a complete stranger, to walk up and pray and bring us to a place of healing in that moment. Sometimes the healing that God desires is not just those places of physical healing, although sometimes it is. Sometimes it's the internal, the the emotional, the relational, the spiritual healing that we desire more than anything else. We like to compartmentalize these things as if they're separate entities, but we're an interconnected being that God brings healing in many different ways. That is why persistently every single week, my friends, we will have prayer teams back, back, back in the back. Now, we may not get some weeks people to come back there and pray, and that's, that's fine, but we will be persistent because we believe that because God is among us, God is with us, that God is already at work, and we want to join him in these places of prayer and ministry with one another. We want to join in what God is doing. Now, I know with the topic of healing sometimes that's difficult because many of us have prayed for healing and not seen it happen, right? We've often prayed for folks to be healed and God did not heal them. Sometimes, a lot of times, people don't get healed. But guess what? Sometimes they do. Sometimes God does heal. I've seen God heal. I've seen God do work in prayer in these services at the end. Relational healing, even physical healing in the lives of people as we've prayed for people. And it's why, persistently, even when you're still sitting in your seat, even though I hope you don't sometimes, even when you're still sitting in your seat, where we will be ready to pray because God is with us. Because God is with us, we will pray. Now, coming back for prayer, I want you to know is not a sign of your weakness or your lack of faith. It is a sign of strength and a fullness of your faith coming to life. Because you're seeing there is a connection here in community. God is with us. And I want my, I want my story and my struggle to be brought together to the presence of God that I may experience the healing that he desires. I just want to encourage you, as we, in the weeks ahead, in the months ahead, in the years ahead, as we have people ready to pray for you, when that struggle comes, when that place of healing is needed, do not hesitate. Do not hesitate. Alicia leads up our prayer team and is doing a fantastic job. And we're even in the months ahead hoping to expand that and see more of praying for healing, praying for one another, even focusing intently on prayer this fall. But as we move forward to that, I just want to encourage you today as we close to open yourself up to what the Lord may want to do in that. If you need prayer about some struggle you're facing, let us pray for you. If you need healing, let's be bold and pray for healing. If you need hope, if you're dealing with doubt, let us pray for you. So, Father, I I join, I know many folks who have struggled with unbelief. Struggle with unbelief in the supernatural. We've we've seen these things caricatured and abused. But God, I, I am placing my hope that the same God who called down fire on the altar 
before Elijah and the prophets. The same God who parted the Red Seas. The same God who raised Jesus from the dead. The same God who brings healing and hope throughout the years, the centuries, how he has brought healing in places we have both seen and unseen. I, I, I persist in my hope, God, that that's the God that is with us, not a smaller version, but the fullness of the God of miracles that we see in the scriptures is the God who is with us. And so we come boldly to pray. God, would you meet us in those places that we often shut the door? Will we hear your knock? Will we let you enter into our story, our struggle, our pain? And this morning, I know we, I pray right now for healing over those who are not here today, reached out to us already and just in need of prayer for healing. Lord, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, you would touch their body and bring complete and full healing. We love you and we thank you for being with us. And we love you and we thank you for letting us together be with one another. I pray this in your name. Take communion together, remembrance of Jesus' body broken for us, his blood shed for our sins.